So, this is the self-development with tactics. Book. So, today we once again are going to go through some Seth Godin videos and or just videos where Seth Godin is staring in. Um, because I've actually seen that a lot of people are quite interested in that, at least just as I can tell by clicks and views and stuff. And I've actually gotten six clicks in like eight hours or something, which is quite insane, kinda. And so I thought, well, let's just do it again because it is also quite a funny thing and... Uh, also pretty good thing because there you can also find just other things that you won't be able to find somewhere else whether it is on his blog whether it is just wherever it might be um you're able to find some things that you're never gonna find somewhere else maybe you know but you just really have to search for them and it just is another medium and so let's go through it after the intro as always as always. And with that being said, hello and welcome back to the next episode of the self Development with Tactics podcast. And by the way, I'm once again having a display there. Um, so if I just do this, don't wonder. <laughs> just don't wonder. But, 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 where is it? There is it. I'm actually at this point of time looking up some recipes that I could just be doing today because I haven't been eating anything today and it is already actually 2 p.m. I thought it was already 3 p.m. or something like that. And, um, yeah, so so I thought that that I am going to make something with lentils and probably also something with beans and I'm probably also going to cook for tomorrow as well. So so I don't know, you know, and, and most of I'm just doing the same shit, which is not always the best thing and which is <laughs> kind of a boring thing from time to time and I'm always eating the exact same thing. Um, but yeah, I gotta have to have a look at some recipes there. But yeah, this is not what we're going to talk about today. But we're going to talk about kickstarting today. And we're also going to talk about Seth Godin today. And we're also going to talk about bootstrapping today. Probably. And there's actually quite a lot of things. These are very short videos. And I have seen that this is a good thing. Because I most often just tend to... Isn't this working? Why isn't it working? <laughs> Can you please work? Now it is working. Fine. So I've actually seen that um, having shorter videos is a pretty good thing because most often I tend to speak quite a long time when I'm just viewing something and stuff. So we gotta have to have it like this, you know, and I also gotta have to have it like this. But yeah, anyway, let's see. About a year ago, I did a, a Kickstarter campaign and in less than three hours, we hit our goal and we sold out everything in about three days. Which is an insane thing, by the way. Like, really, really, indeed insane. Like, in three hours, in three motherfucking hours, and I haven't shown you, by the way, as well. I am very sorry. There he is. In three hours, it is, like, really an insane thing. You know, I really got to have to point it out. Yay. So, it's overnight success. But, of course, it wasn't an overnight success. It took me 10 years to earn the connection with the tribe that led to this. So, the, the big insight for me was that, in fact, yes, if you want to know if it pays. It does pay. It pays to build a group of people, a tribe that are connected to one another and to you and that trust you. You know, it turned out that the prizes were a thrill to make and a, 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 a privilege to deliver to people. But that's not what Kickstarter is for. It's not what Kickstarter is actually good at. It's a huge, huge bureaucratic hassle to deal with Kickstarter. No, what Kickstarter is, is an emblem and a symbol of whether or not you have already figured out how to serve a tribe. And this is actually the main reason why it's often referring to it as kick finisher. Since if you're having a Kickstarter project, then most often it is already a good thing. It's often just something that 
people consider using, people consider taking and also buying. Because, uh, yeah, you know, if, if it is succeeding on Kickstarter, it's a good thing. It's not like a starter, like it's, it's finished then. But the main point that I wanted to point out there is that if you... What was the point? Fuck. <laughs> Goal. And we sold out everything in about three days. So it's overnight success. Yeah, sure. You know. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, I wanted to point out the whole overnight success thing because most often we're just seeing like in the newspaper or wherever else, some headlines or whatever it might be like, overnight success. This person is an overnight success. That person is an overnight success. This company is an overnight success. No, it's fucking not. Because most often when we're talking about overnight successes, there was a long, 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 long process behind that move. You know, if it is just a conscious move or if it is a, a sub subconscious or unconscious or just an quote unquote accident, a good accident, that the company is not just on the very top of the whole spectrum of whatever, um, doesn't matter then. You know, it's been a really long process up to this point. And this is really an important point that I want to point out, you know, really an important point because there's so many people and so many companies and stuff and they've really been working on a craft for such a long time till they popped, you know, and then everybody's like, oh, it's been an overnight success and you're so lucky and shit. But no, they probably have not been that lucky. They have been just working on that craft, you know, especially also I think on YouTube, if you're just seeing something that's pretty great, most often it is indeed the case that the channel, this person, this whatever worked on his or her craft for quite some time. And uh, yeah, you know, it might be actually, uh, is it an insult? A little bit, maybe. I would say quite, you know, because if you've if you've just been working on your craft for just so long, for so many hours, for so for such a long period of time, then it is just strange to hear like, okay, it's an overnight success, and especially if it is then like, okay, you've been so lucky, huh? Really lucky, motherfucker. I've not been lucky. <laughs> if this is gonna be the case for me as well, then I've not been lucky. You know, I've just really put in the work. I think this is something that we can see at the numbers or with the numbers. So therefore, I'm not quite sure if I'm also gonna have the same quote unquote uh, result problem, whatever you wanna refer to. But there's actually another video. And this starts a little bit early. I think it starts with a little bit, as you can see also in the timeline there, with a little bit of an uh, introduction. It's an interview. I don't know, just it is from 2012, so it's a really old one. It might also be by Strombo, since the channel is actually having 140k subscribers, but I don't know. What a pleasure, you're such a pro. And I'm, by the way, uh, hopefully going to link everything down in the description. So if you want to check it out on your own, check it out on your own. Um, in the very last bit of the video, I really want to go through an article by Seth Godin once again as well. And this is also, hopefully, because I tend to forget about these things, going to be down in the description, also in the show notes, if you're on the podcast. Oh, thank you. It's very nice to have you. I love the books too. They're, they're short. There's lots of them. Exactly. So you can always, you can they're always like follow. Peanuts. They're like peanuts. That's exactly right. Uh, so here we are, 2012. Are you hopeful? What a new year that was. Fantastic. Blowout. Right? Blow <laughs> How was your New Year's Eve party, everybody? <laughs> All right. Uh, no, seriously, 2012. What do you, what do you, what do you, what Here's the thing the recession is a forever recession. There's so? a cyclical recession that comes and goes, but there's this other thing, and it's the end of the industrial age. It lasted for 80 years. For 80 years, you got a job, you did what you were told, you retired. And good people could make above average pay for average work. And it ended. And so 2012 is not going to be more of the same. It's going to be worse of the same in that the industrial age is going away and a new thing is going to take its place. It doesn't strike me as we're a group of people who are prepared for this new thing yet. Totally unprepared. Absolutely. Because our schools, our systems, our retirement things, our taxes are all built around this notion of doing what you're told. And now we don't know what to do because it's a revolution. 
And so what do you think we should do? Pick yourself. Don't wait for someone to pick you. If you have a book, you don't need a publisher to pick you. You can publish it yourself. If you want to write, write. If you want to sing, sing. If you want to start a movement, start a movement. But this shift is that it doesn't matter whether you own a building or own a big company. You can now make an impact if you want to. Well, there was this idea. And this is uh, just where I've actually also stopped listening then or watching that. So I really hope that there's also going to be something good afterwards as well. But I assume because there's most often something good when Seth Gordon is talking about something. The thing is, we can really do something. You know, we can really do a lot of things. We can make music. If you want to be a musician, you can just fucking make music if you want to. Of course, like it is not going to be easy. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, but we all can. There's there's no gatekeeper. There's nobody saying like, no, you can't do that. You know, you, you can't do this. You, you just whatever if we're talking about hollywood there are still gatekeepers you know there's still going to be some people being like well nah you're not going to be an actor you know you're not going to be in hollywood you're not going to do that this is still going to be the case but if it is about something that you can do alone you know which is there's a ton of things that you can do you can be a writer you can be a podcaster so radio host if you just dial it back just a bit then uh writer as i said before like okay you could also just break it down into okay newspaper writer you can have your own blog book writer you can just publish your own book i've by the way done this yesterday even though i've you know kind of wanted to just have a little bit of a longer book but then i've seen like well why should i because why should i stretch the book you know if it is good like it is why should i why should i stretch it like it doesn't make any sense and by the way this is probably something that some 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 publishers actually trying to do with authors it might have actually been about seth gordon i think this was one of his quote-unquote problems um, but he just said like, no, I'm not going to make it longer because why, why should I, or was it Tim Ferriss? I'm actually not quite sure. I'm really unsure. But the thing is, um, Spotify, SoundCloud musician, you know, um, having your own show, your own TV show, which is now YouTube and just many, many minutes or movies. If you want to have it like this, there's just so many things that we can be doing. And I do also have to kind of agree with this point of like, um, we have been in this industrialized thing and in the whole system where, uh, we have just been doing what anybody said to us and told us to do, even though, I mean, the flip side is we're still doing that. You know, we have still just, uh, I think there's still enough companies and there's still enough jobs where this is just your job, you know, that you just do whatever somebody tells you to do, you know, which is probably, and I'm actually associating this, this with everything that has something to do with an assembly line. I'm not quite sure if I'm wrong there, you know, and if there's just also something else, but, um, but yeah, I assume, I mean, this is a video from 2012 and he's talking about that. And at this point in time, like we're really having a lot of opportunities and I don't know, like I would consider myself a generation or part of a generation where this is something that we have seen. And this is something that we have just got basically like we have understood it and i i would just definitely say that the uh, newer generations so the generations that are coming and the next generation is it after me or is it before me i think it's after me just the next or is it before like uh, anyway the uh, um the younger generation that we're having i think they're really going to be conscious about that and i think that i mean i've really seen that like they're just really growing up with youtube and being able to do something like that it's not quite been the case for me not quite, not quite. I'm a little bit too old for that. Even though I'm like, what am I? I'm 19. Yeah, I'm 19. <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, I, I really think that they are going to make something amazing with that. I hope at least, even though like, of course, there's going to be some influences by older generations, which might be bad in that case. But yeah, anyway, let's see what Seth Gordon is just saying that as well. The idea that people think the government owes them a job or at least owes them the opportunity to get a job. Has that changed? Well, I think the thinking hasn't changed at all because that's what we grew up to believe, that this notion of you pay your taxes and you do what you're told and there's a pension and a safety net 
is hardwired in. Andrew Carnegie, Henry Ford, all those guys built it into the system. And now it's starting to crumble and the jobs are moving. There's a McDonald's in California. You pull into the drive-thru and you say your order and you can see the guy 12 feet away who's flipping burgers. You're not talking to him. Yeah. It goes over TCP IP through the internet and a satellite to someone in South Dakota who's making 12 cents less an hour, who types in what you said and back over because they could save 12 cents doing that. So there's this race to the bottom. And if if you're going to say, I'm an average guy doing average... This is like real. Are you really not directly talking to the person? I have to check this afterwards. I How really have to. We'll find someone cheaper than you. But is it that there was a revolution or is it that corporations felt like they had an, um, an unfettered path? Yeah, capitalism has always needed boundaries. And so if you've got people racing, and if the boundaries get loosened, they're going to race faster. The alternative, though, which I'm much more interested in, is the race to the top. So while there's people who are racing to the bottom, there's... What's the race to the bottom? What is that? Yeah. The race to the bottom is, how do we get cheaper? How does everything get cheaper? More Walmarts, more Targets, more stuff made by people who are getting paid ever less from cheaper materials, cheaper services, whatever. The and and this, this also means... Maybe to just try, I don't know if, if he said that or if this is understandable or something, but this is also just totally applicable to what you're doing. If you're just starting a business, if you're just starting a service, then it's not going to be the best idea if you're just having the cheapest one. Of course, this could also be a strategy, but those major corporations, they're having more possibilities and more, more ways to do so, you know, because they can, I don't know, just have one product be very cheap because the competition is also like really fucking cheap, but all the other products, they are going to just make up for the loss that they're having on the other product. We're on the first product, but uh, you as a small business probably are not able to do so. And also as a just, I don't know, as a single entrepreneur, you're probably also not going to be able to do that. So um, going for that thing and going for the cheap way and trying to just be the cheap one and the cheap product and the cheap service and whatnot, it's not going to be that of a good idea. It's not going to be the best thing to do, but to just have um, quality, even though like it just really depends on the person that you're trying to serve or the target audience, just what is quality for them. For you, quality might be different than uh, something, or I might consider something of quality than just what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> it is a subjective thing. This is what I want to say. Like, I just think that uh, something is uh, qualitative and you might think like, no, it's completely bullshit and it's just crap and whatnot. And so it's just really something subjective. So it really depends on the target audience and or the, um, yes, really indeed target audience or the people that you're willing to serve as a company and or as a person. The problem with the race to the bottom is you might win, which is which really sucks, yeah, right? Totally. The alternative is to race to the top. And some people are getting to race to the top because the internet and this revolutionary connection engine that we're all living with says if you can figure out how to do something interesting or unique or noteworthy, people will find you and pay you extra because you're not like everyone else but cheaper. You're different than everyone and more expensive. Yeah, but the whole system needs to change. Yeah. Wow, do you really like it or not? It's all turning upside down. Is this one of the things like the record business where regardless of how we feel, it's going to change? Do you think it will change? Yeah. So the record business was perfect, George, in 1972. Everything about it was perfect. Rolling Stone magazine, uh, American Top 40, right Billboard. To the, right to the late, mid-90s, yeah, right? Yeah. Gone, all at once. More music now by more musicians, listened to more often by more people. All of that's great, but the industry that made it, gone. And so the same thing is going to happen to Canadian Tire and the same thing is going to happen to Tim Hortons and the same thing is going to happen to the local hotel and everybody else. They're either going to have to choose that we're just like everyone else but a little cheaper or they're going to have to say we're the only one. Like Rita's Candy Shop, halfway between here and Algonquin Park. Yeah. 
Rita's has a line out the door all summer long. She and her husband make hundreds of thousands of dollars, even though there's all these other places on Highway 11 yeah. that are struggling, because they're all the same, but there's only one Rita's. It's like Weber's if you're going north as right well. Right next door to Weber's. That's right. Exactly. Algonquin Park's big in your life, isn't it? Yeah. And when did you first go there? 1970, when I was 10 years old. There's a whole run of American guys who went up to uh, Camp Erwan, right? Yeah. So when you first got there, what did you think of Algonquin Park? Well, you know, when you're 10 years old, all you want to do is go home because you're homesick. But then you look around and there's beaver and moose and trees. And, and that wears off when you're 10 years old after a couple hours. But the first time you see a moose, it's crazy, right? Yeah, <laughs> this is like unbelievable. Like the second day, there was a bear in my cabin. Right, maybe we're actually going to go uh, just to the next one. I kind of always feel like, well, there's if there's like a one minute of, okay, just uh, only talking, I kind of feel like, well, I got to have to put in the fucking value there. So we're going to swap right to the next one because I know that this is valuable even though in the first beginning it might be like ah, hmm, ah, hmm. because I mean you can still see the difference and you clearly notice also the difference between uh, if you just uh, thank you if this just is like uh, a person that's doing something and a person that is communicating in some way in a specific way and on the other hand there's also the person that's communicating in a completely different way which might be based on the job that this person is doing um you might know what i'm referring to in a second so yeah here we go absolutely need to have if you're going to make your business successful seth is a best-selling author of 15 books writes the most popular marketing blog in the world <laughs> um, i just really think that um, that, I, I mean, of course, like, kind of, it is kind of unnecessary. Like, yeah, let's put it like this. It's kind of unnecessary to, to have the camera pointed on him while she's speaking, you know, and he, he's just sitting there being like, well, um, waiting, you know, yeah. Dan is a successful entrepreneur himself. He's earned the admiration of so many small business people, and he's here today to talk to us about some of the lessons learned from his book, The Bootstrapper's Bible. Great to see you, Seth. Thank you for having me, JJ. Thank you so much for joining us. And I want to say, first of all, that this book is free, right? It is now. Yeah, okay. So anyone can go get this. Yeah, just to go to any search engine you want, good search or whatever, and type in The Bootstrapper's Bible, free copy, and you'll find it. Fantastic. Okay, let's talk about some of the highlights. I mean, bootstrapping to you, it's not starting off with, you know, $20 from your bank account or you know your, your credit card debt it is a way of thinking right? that's right so the, the the thought is that what you do as a small business person is you're disrupting the universe that the universe is gonna be different after you show up that's not the way big companies think big companies say we have this engine of commerce we have a job to do every day but the bootstrapper comes in and says what I need to do is connect people who want my product more than they want their money right vendors who want my business more than they need to be paid today. And if I can make those connections happen, I can grow this thing forever, right? Because if the product is worth it, if it's so powerful that people need it and they're willing to wait in line for it, then they're willing to pay you up front. You know, we were... And yeah, this is the point of the, the video there. Up to this point, like again, I haven't just watched the whole one because, um, yeah, I've kind of got it. And I really want to point that out. Like if you're having a product that's really good, really, really, really good. The people are also gonna come. I think this is just what we've seen with Facebook, with every other social media platform that is established at this point in time. And also all the other products that we have, like smartphones, Apple as a brand, uh, just Coca-Cola as a brand, all these major brands that they, they have established themselves. And yeah, because the product was good. I mean, at this point in time, I don't know if the product is that good, you know, but it might just be like, okay, I've always been doing that. I've always been drinking Coke, so I'm just gonna drink Coke. And I like it the most. 
if it is really the case or not, just doesn't depend right now or doesn't matter right now. But um, if you're really having a good product, then people are also going to come and people are also going to talk about that, which is free marketing. And really important point, really, really indeed important point that the product is good for the person. You know, if you think it is important and and good, especially as well, like, hmm, doesn't really that matter indeed, you know, because if you think it is important and good and whatnot, and they think it is pretty shit, then nobody's going to buy it. Unless there's a lot of people that think like you, then of course they are going to buy it. But it also includes that how you're doing the product and how you're making the product isn't actually that of an important thing. I mean, if you just, let's say you're just actually also having something to, to eat or something to, to drink. If you're just making this with a machine that is working quite fine, but it is a really old machine, um, it, it might not be that fast, it might not be that good, it might just be used, but, but it is working, you know, it is sufficiently working. People are going to still buy it. And this is, by the way, something that I'm seeing very, very often on, on YouTube, YouTube and I think in general when it is about making content that people are always trying to just get the best gear. You know, I gotta have to just have this huge PC. I gotta have to have this huge microphone and this best equipment and just I have to control everything with this nips and shit, which is, yeah, might, might be cool. I mean, it might be just also a pretty convenient thing. You know, we're often buying things because it is a convenient thing as, uh, I mean, Ubers quite, you know, I don't have to walk or just cabs in general as well. I don't have to walk and, or I just don't want to walk and therefore I'm just gonna have a cab. For example, of course, there's also other possibilities and stuff, but um, I'm recording with a fucking smartphone. It's an iPhone 5S and I'm having a sock on top of it, which is just acting as a fucking pop filter, you know? And this, this video might be just still be a huge thing. I don't know, it, it could be. And this is the point that I also wanted to just get across, that you do not really have to have the best gear to just make a good product because it is about the product and not about the gear that you're using. Of course, as I said, it might be a little bit more convenient if you're having more expensive gear. You might be faster if you're having a little bit more expensive gear, you know? And it might also be easier for you to do so, you know, because it is faster, because it is whatever, more powerful, but you don't need it. You know, you can also make something amazing with uh, cheap shit, basically. We're talking before about Tough Mudder, a company that, that runs events that people want to do obstacle courses in the mud. And it's not cheap, and you have to pay up front, which makes it really easy for those guys to rent the farm where they need to put it on, and then there's a profit left. Well, if you can do that over and over and over again, the next thing you know, you're in 500 cities. You know, the thing is, that when you're bootstrapping, you're small, and you're just starting up, one of the great things is you don't have a lot to lose, right? So I'm going to be really risk-taking with this, because if it fails, who cares? But once I've been in business for four years, and now I have... 10 employees and half of them have kids suddenly it's a little bit harder to take risks That's right and so how do you keep that mentality so what I talk about in the purple cow is a purple cow is something that people are willing to talk about but after they talk about it there's time to milk the purple cow and use that cash cow to pay for the next thing you're going to launch so that's the magic for example the book publishing business is the catcher in the rye pays the bills year after year after year which lets them go do 50 shades of gray which is speculative so this notion that your current business ought to be funding the next innovative thing you do is part of the bootstrapper mindset which is that the reason you're doing this is not to buy yourself a job right not, not some sandwich franchise where every day you're making the same ham and cheese that's not the goal 
If you want to do that, go make ham and cheese sandwiches. The goal is how do you make a ruckus? And how do you have it self-fund so you can make another ruckus tomorrow? So what's interesting about that also is you talk about being an underdog. So when you are an underdog, you're actually in a position of power because people are rooting for you, right? That's right. And, and I thought at first, well, how are you an underdog if you're successful? But you actually can be if you then use your success to fund something where you're the underdog. Exactly. So if we use, you know, every example is about Apple or Google. So if we use Google as an example, Google's winning, but Gmail comes out of nowhere. So they're the underdog. So the nerds get behind it. Apple's winning, but the iPhone, how could they possibly succeed against Motorola? So all the nerds come out for that. So again, when you come out with the new thing, the new notion, your audience, your tribe, your followers are going to be rooting for that new thing to work because it says something about them too. It says that they're part of an organization that wants to make interesting things happen. Someone told me a piece of advice that I thought was really great too, is as you get more successful and you have money and you have contacts, Every time you make a big decision that's going to cost a lot of money, say, how would I accomplish the same thing without spending any money if I were exactly. just starting out? And you'll probably do it better. Because what we do when we have money is we try to cover ourselves against the downside. We try to paper it over with three levels of stuff. A friend of mine used to work at Saturday Night Live. And he said when they build a kitchen on Saturday Night Live for a sketch, it costs more to build that kitchen than it does to put a kitchen in your house. Even though they're going to use it for five minutes. Right? So that gets in the way of saying, let's put a kitchen in because you've got to go pay for it. So the mindset is not how do I guarantee it's going to work? It's how do I do it cheap enough that I don't care if it's going to work? That is how you get new ideas. It's so world. great. too, and, and you're the most creative when you have to be, right? When That's you don't right. have these contacts, when you don't have this money. So the Bootstrappers Bible, everyone can go download it for free. Seth, thanks so much again for coming a on the pleasure. show. Um, you can also print it apparently because I've actually also had a look at it uh, several months ago actually as well and also relatively recently as well because i uh, there's actually multiple books that he has written for free and and also the design is pretty cool you know also the layout is pretty cool everything is structured very well the online view isn't that nice since there's always like a box above quite everything and which is saying like okay you can print it and stuff which uh, not that of a good thing but you can print it which is a nice thing which is a super good thing and it is really long it's a really detailed one and there's probably also a lot of value in there as well. Um, just because he's talking about The Purple Cow. Purple Cow is a book that he's written. It was also a bestseller, as I think and remember and stuff. Not quite sure, but I guess. And and yeah, I think also pretty amazing thing. And also what he is referring to, what was referring to. Is this working? Yeah. Um, the whole cash cow thing. Cash cow and whatever there might be. There's actually four things, but I never ever know what they are. Yeah, you have in the question mark, the stars, the dogs, and the cash cow. And there you can actually also see, like, with the axis, you're having market growth on the left with uh, the dogs on the bottom left and the question marks on the bottom, uh, on the top left. And on the bottom, you're having market share as an axis with the uh, dogs on the left side and the cash cows on the right side, as well as the cash cow on the right bottom and the stars on the right top. If this somehow makes sense, I really hope... <laughs> For the podcast listeners, you know. Um, but yeah, so what we're willing to go for is the cash cows, I assume. No, actually with the stars, you know, with high market growth and also um, high market share as well with that, I guess. I'm not quite sure. There's, of course, like a, just millions and trillions of different uh, ways you can just present that. But I think actually the other one is pretty good. I think this one is actually a pretty cool one. Pretty well done, kind of. Well, well, anyway, and there's also just for the end of the video, I've also seen that one 
the lifelong fan, which is, by the way, an article by Seth Gordon, a blog post by Seth Gordon. So it's also going to be linked down, as I said. I hope at least tend to forget about that. But yeah. So what does it mean that for 40 years you have been a steadfast and true fan of a team? I don't know, by the way, what steadfast means, but yeah. The Red Sox, perhaps even the Montreal Expos. Over time, every player has changed, every coach, perhaps the logo, the stadium, the city, and even the name. So what exactly are you a fan of? And at this point, I thought like, actually, yeah, what are you a fan of? Is it like the spirit? Is it like just whatever? Because if everything changes, even like the city and the name, you know, but of course you can still be like, okay, they're still having the same identity. You know, they're having the same genes, like the, the structure, the, the philosophy is still the same. Like this might be actually something to go for. I don't know. But he says, the same is true for car brands, political parties, and just about anything where affiliation drives our sense of self and community. And now he says, people like us do things like this, which, uh, which is a re occurring phrase that he's using quite often because it is also really a good one. This instinct is so strong that we suspend disbelief and create belief based on something as shallow as what logo what logo is on a box. We confuse our rational understanding of what's important with our emotional connection to a logo or a team name. It turns out that the name of the team and the other fans are much more important part of our narrative than we realize. Part of being a fan uh, isn't insisting that your team win every game. In fact, being a fan is defined as showing up even when you're losing, even when the leaders are wrong, and even when logic dictates that this makes no sense at all. <laughs> Once you realize that being a fan is an important part of your self-worth, the most generous thing you can do is speak up when management is about to do something stupid, because when the fans speak up, it is possible that leadership listens. Yes, which is, I think, also something that we have seen, like, if people are like, I don't like this update, you know, I don't like this update, they're just having any fucking software, then the company's going to be like, hmm, if the community says, like, it's shit, then we probably should be doing something about it. But yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah. The question of the day is, and it might be a really selfish question, if it is starting, I hope it is starting in a brief second there it is is there something of value that you've gone out of this episode and yes if there is something please comment it down please just hit me up on social media on whatever it might be i would be really grateful for that and really thankful for that because it helps me tremendously a lot so that i actually know what to talk about and know what to, to go through if there is demand um but yeah i'm gonna end the episode there so i wish you the best health of happiness and also success and also hope that you're gonna remind yourself and you're gonna be remembered which basically means your legacy and basically means just being a nice person and then being remembered as a nice person but yeah with that being said three other questions that i'm having for you are why are you here what are you trying to change and what is bothering you the most these three questions are hopefully going to show you your purpose and maybe even a business idea and yeah with that being said thank you a lot from the bottom of my heart i really appreciate that and I'm hopefully going to see you the next time. So, bye-bye.